Hello and welcome to the PMNAR Lady Dog Sports Review on Pediatrics. My name is Marjorie Mamsang. This is Trisha Prince. And this is Patricia Goodwin. So I'm going to start with this pediatrics review. It mainly encompasses two topics, myelomeningocele and cerebral palsy. Myelomeningocele. We will go over epidemiology, spina bifida types, medical issues and management, and motor development and ambulation. Spina bifida is from neural tube defects caused by congenital dysraphic malformations of the vertebral column and spinal cord. Incidence was 0.6 per 1,000 births in 1989, with the highest prevalence in Irish, German, or Hispanic ancestry. The female to male ratio is 1.2 female to 1 male. Neurosurgical repair is usually performed on the day of birth. Etiology. Causes are polycentric inheritance and environmental influences. Folic acid in the amount of 0.4 mg daily, periconceptually, and in early pregnancy reduces the occurrence and recurrence of spina bifida. Note that the defect of neural tube closure occurs around day 26 and accounts for most lesions. There are currently two ways of prenatal diagnosis. Alpha-fetoprotein, or AFP, can be measured in the amniotic fluid. Abnormal levels are 80% reliable on diagnosis during weeks 13 to 15. The second way is to use fetal ultrasound, which is more than 90% reliable in weeks 16 to 24. Let's go over spina bifida types. Um, there's spina bifida occulta and spina bifida cystica. Spina bifida occulta is a normal variant and occurs in 5 to 10% of the population. Only the vertebra is affected and there is no herniation. In fact, um, some of these people never know they have spina bifida occulta at all. Spina bifida cystica can be further divided into meningocele, myelomeningocele, and myelocele. Meningocele is herniation of the spinal fluid and meninges. Myelomeningocele, which is the most common type of spina bifida cystica, is herniation of the spinal fluid, meninges, and the spinal cord. Myelocele occurs when there is a cystic cavity in front of the anterior wall of the spinal cord. Next, let's review spina bifida complications. The first is Arnold Chiari malformation type 2. This is the downward displacement of the medulla and brainstem through the foramen magnum. It occurs in 80 to 90% of myelomeningocele cases. Hydrocephalus occurs in 90% of these Arnold Chiari malformations. Let's talk about hydrocephalus for a second. Know that spontaneous arrest occurs in 50% by 15 years old, uh, meaning they won't need surgery to fix it. However, more than 80% require ventriculoperitoneal or VP shunts to be placed. Another complication or rather a manifestation of spina bifida is called tethered cord. This is abnormal attachment of the distal spinal cord. Tethered cord causes weakness, scoliosis, pain, orthopedic deformity, and urologic dysfunction. Now, these symptoms may likely be present in a spina bifida patient. However, if the symptoms are rapidly progressing, then think tethered cord. Next complication is syringomyelia. Syringomyelia is a fluid-filled central cavity, or syrinx, in the spinal cord parenchyma. This usually occurs in the cervical spine. 
Syndrome anemia causes sensory deficits and loss of motor function, especially in the upper limbs compared to the lower limbs. There is also pain, increased spasticity, and hyperreflexia. On to medical issues of spina bifida. First is urinary dysfunction. Urinary dysfunction occurs in over 90% of myelomeningocele cases. 15 to 20% have vesico-urethral reflux at birth. UTIs are common and know that calcinosis is common with proteus UTIs. Hypertonic bladder is common in thoracic lesions and hypotonic bladder is common in sacral lesions. Um, let's review some nerve root innervations. T10 to L2 is responsible for sympathetic and adrenergic innervation. S2 to S4 is responsible for parasympathetic and cholinergic innervation. And S2 to S5 innervates the somatic system via the pudendal plexus. Question, what are the different treatments for urinary dysfunction? So you can try the anticholinergics, you can try the um, alpha adrenergics, um, do surgery if you need to, and then you can also do um, intermittent self-cath if your um, condition requires that. Great. So let's go over these. Um, first, you said anticholinergics. Anticholinergics decrease uh, detrusor contractions and enlarge bladder capacity. Next, alpha adrenergics. Alpha, alpha adrenergics increase outflow resistance to help with continence. Surgery is an option with bladder augmentation. The long-term goal of urologic treatment is to prevent renal damage by preventing infe infections and reflux. Intermittent self-catheterization is the mainstay of treatment and usually first line. Question, at what age is a child capable of intermittent self-catheterization? Typically about five to six years old and boys can usually learn a little bit more easier than girls due to anatomy. Great. Um, fact, 40% of mortality causes are due to urologic issues. So if asked what's the number one issue um, in uh, spina bifida for mortality, it's um, urologic. Next medical issue is bowel, bowel dysfunction. Fecal incontinence occurs in 80% of cases in which there is poor rectal tone, absent cutaneous reflex response and or perianal sensory deficit. The presence of bulbocavernous cavernosis or anocavernosis reflex is associated with a greater chance of bowel continence. Fact, independence with toileting is the number one delayed self-care task. Bowel dysfunction can be managed with stool softeners, bulk additives, suppositories, enemas, digital stimulation and or manual removal. A surgical option is antigrade, continence enema, and colostomy. Precocious puberty is another medical issue. Precocious puberty occurs in 10 to 20% of cases with hydrocephalus. This is because hydrocephalus increases the pressure on the hypothalamus, causing premature activation of the hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis. This leads to breast and testicular enlargement as well as short stature, due to growth hormone deficiency. Um, now let's talk about the intellectual function in spina bifida. 
In general, the higher the lesion, the lower the IQ score. Hydrocephalus is associated with concentration and attention deficits. Verbal skills tend to be better than math, written, or visual perceptual abilities. Having a cocktail party personality is common. In other words, they're very happy and nice to talk to, but really, they don't know what they're talking about. Another issue is latex allergy. 59% of spina bifida causes have, or sorry, spina bifida cases have a latex allergy. They are also 500 times at an increased risk of anaphylaxis in the OR. Here are some other complications of spina bifida that I will briefly mention, but not um, go into detail with. Vasomotor changes over affected area on the back, Charcot joints, osteoporosis, benign lumbosacral tumors, diastomatomyelia or sagittal cleavage of the spinal cord, scoliosis or kyphosis, central respiratory dysfunction, which is the most common cause of death, discoordination, impaired visual dysfunction, malformation of the urinary system, obesity, and skin breakdown. Next, let's go over notes on the orthopedic management of spina bifida. Spine deformities. Mild scoliosis is treated with thoracic lumbar sacral orthosis, or TLSO brace. Rapidly progressing scoliosis requires surgery, and you must check for, for tethered cord. Hip deformities. Only treat unilateral dislocations. Bilateral dislocations without range of motion restrictions are best left alone. Knee deformities. Knee deformities are treated with serial casting. Surgery with tibial osteotomy is reserved for severe tibial torsion. Foot deformities. A common procedure is a posterior transfer of the tibialis anterior muscle. Equinus deformities are treated with Achilles lengthening. Severe clawed toe deformity and pes cavus can be treated with flexor tenodesis or transfer and plantar fasciotomy. Finally, let's go over notes on motor development and ambulation. Notes on rolling. Thoracic lesions can achieve rolling by 18 months with compensatory strategies. This differs from the normal baby milestones as normally rolling is achieved by six months. Notes on sitting. T12 lesions allow for trunk control. Mid lumbar lesions usually sit with some delay and increase lower doses. Normal sitting occurs if L4 to L5 is spared. How is ambulation achieved in thoracic lesions? Th thoracic lesions require assistive device for passive standing at 12 to 18 months old. Assistive device can be a parapodium, swivel walker, hip knee ankle foot orthotic or HKAFO with spinal extension, walker or lost strand crutches. How is ambulation achieved in lower thoracic and lumbar lesions? A reciprocal gait orthrosis, or RGO, can be used after three years old. The energy required for an RGO is similar to that of a wheelchair. An ankle foot orthotic, or AFO, can be used if L3 is spared. For lower lumbar lesions, patients can stand and cruise near the expected age. For example, they can walk around two years old with a Trendelenburg lurch and gastrocnemius limp. Also, they may achieve crutch walking at four to five years old. Here, functional ambulation is realistic. For lower lumbar and sacral lesions, an AFO can be used if plantar flexors are spastic or non-functional. Question, 
What are chances of functional community ambulation? For thoracic levels, there's about a 0 to 33% chance. For high lumbar levels, there's a 31% chance. For lower lumbar levels, there's about a 38% chance. And 95% chance of becoming a functional community ambulator at ages 15 through 31 years old. And for sacral lesions, all are able to become functional community ambulators. Great. Lastly, let's discuss the outcomes of spina bifida patients. These are just thoughts to know. Independent living is achieved in 30 to 60%. The employment rate is 25 to 50%. Conception is possible in women. However, they are at risk for premature labor. Male sexual function is present in L5 lesions and sacral deficits. Now, take a breather before we move on to the next pediatric topic, cerebral palsy, or CP. In our cerebral palsy review, we will go over the causes, the CP subtypes, common issues, and prognosis. I also would like to mention the importance of reviewing the milestones and ages on your own, as this will help you understand the diagnosis of CP along um, with many other pediatric problems. So very important to study those milestones. Cerebral palsy is the leading cause of childhood disability. That is a fact. There are multiple causes of CP. The cause can be prenatal or in utero, perinatal or near time of delivery, or postnatal, meaning within the first three years of life. 70 to 80% of cases occur prenatally or in utero. Here are some prenatal causes. Prenatal intracranial hemorrhage, placental complications, gestational toxins, teratogenics, malformations of the brain and cerebral vascular occlusions, torch infections, maternal causes such as seizures, hyperthyroidism, and mental retardation, reproductive insufficiency, hypoxic injury, which is usually idiopathic, and socioeconomic causes. Here are some perinatal causes. Prematurity. Prematurity is actually the most common perinatal cause. The physical stressors of immaturity can compromise blood flow. Fragile veins, hyperbilirubinemia, and difficult traumatic delivery, which include complications such as subdural hematoma, intracranial hemorrhage, infection, seizure, bradycardia, and hypoxemia. Lastly, here are some postnatal causes. Trauma, such as shaken baby syndrome. Toxins, such as heavy metals. Stroke syndromes, which could be involved with sickle cell disease, arteriovenous malformation rupture, tetralogy of Fallot, infection, neoplasm, anoxia, usually from near drowning incidents, and intracranial hemorrhage. Now let's talk about the different CP classifications. The three different types are spastic, dyskinetic, or mixed. Spastic is the most common as 75% of cases are of the spastic type. Common signs and symptoms of spastic CP are upper motor neuron signs, muscle spasticity, of course, hyperreflexia or clonus, and scissoring gait with toe walking. There are also spastic subtypes, which are monoplegia, diplegia, triplegia, quadriplegia, and hemiplegia. Monoplegia is rare, diplegia is the most common and quadriplegia is the most severe. So let's break down these spastic subtypes. Diplegia, meaning both limbs, diplegia is the most 
most common in premature infants. Diplegia means that bilateral limbs are affected versus hemiplegia in which one's whole side is affected. Diplegia is most commonly affects the lower limbs more than the upper limbs. Lower limb spasticity is due to damage of pyramidal fibers in the internal capsule. There is typically a history of intracranial hemorrhage. Diplegia is also known as Little's disease. Symptoms also consist of seizures, cognitive impairment, strabismus, and visual deficits. Spastic hemiplegia. As stated earlier, spastic hemiplegia involves one side of the body. Oftentimes, premature hand dominancy occurs at less than one years old. Normally, why it's important. So this is why it's important to know your milestones. Normally, hand dominance is established at four to six years old. Cranial nerve involvement occurs, for example, facial weakness. A focal injury is common in the middle cerebral artery. Speech is often preserved. Sensory deficits occur on the affected side in 68% of cases. Other symptoms include visual deficits, cognitive impairment, and seizures. Spastic quadriplegia. Again, spastic quadriplegia is the most severe type. It is usually associated with difficult delivery involving perinatal asphyxia. There can be perisagittal cerebral injury affecting the bilateral cortical zones within border watershed zones. <clears throat> in this case, the upper limbs are affected more than lower limbs. Think of the homunculus. A preterm MRI can show periventricular leukomalacia. There is a high rate of cognitive impairment with spastic quadriplegia, and seizures occur in 50% of the cases. Now let's briefly discuss spasticity bracing. AFO or ankle foot orthosis is used to treat equinus or equinovarus deformities. KAFO or knee ankle foot orthosis is used for knee flexion or extension deformities as well as knee varus and valgus deformities. HKAFO or hip knee ankle foot orthosis is used for hip control and can decrease deformity. However, know that HKAFOs are not functional for gait. Continuing on to dyskinetic CP types, the dyskinetic CP subtypes are athetosis, chorea, choreoathetoid, dystonia, and ataxia. The choreoathetoid subtype is usually athetosis dominant. The dystonia subtype is associated with abnormal posturing. Some common signs of the dyskinetic CP type include pseudobulbar involvement, including dysarthria, dysphagia, drooling, or oromotor dyskinesis. Unsteadiness, being uncoordinated, dysmetria, or a wide base gait. Sensory neural deafness. History of chronicterus. And diffuse anoxia and basal ganglia and thalamus. Lastly, the mixed CP type. The mixed CP type has both spastic and dyskinetic patterns. The most common subtype is a spastic athetoid type in which there is a predominant dyskinetic pattern with underlying spasticity. Now let's go over the common issues involved in all CP types. Some of these issues have already been mentioned. There are a lot to go over, so bear with me. Mental retardation. This occurs in 50% of cases. Seizures. This also occurs in 50% of cases. The most common types of seizures are grand mal and tonic-clonic seizures. Hearing impairment. Hearing impairment is from a sensory neural cause. This occurs in 12% of cases and is more common in athetosis than in spasticity. 
know that the most common cause of hearing impairment is pernicterous. Visual deficits. Strabismus is most common and occurs in 25 to 60% of cases. Homonymous hemianopia occurs in 25% of cases. Language disorders. An insult to the dominant hemisphere can cause aphasia. Fact. The ability to speak two to three word sentences by age three shows the capacity for intellectual potential. Respiratory involvement. There is decreased vital capacity and aerobic working capacity. Scoliosis can also cause restricted disease. Behavioral disorders. There is true emotional ability as well as distractibility, impulsivity, and hyperkinesis. Gastrointestinal problems. The main GI problem is constipation. Bowel and bladder dysfunction. Bowel and bladder dysfunction is due to central neuromotor control. Oromotor problems. Oromotor problems include difficulty swallowing, sucking, and chewing. In severe instances, a peg tube must be placed. And lastly, dental problems. Poor handling of food and secretions, as well as chronic drooling, can lead to cavities. Next, let's discuss prognosis and CP. How do you answer the question when a parent asks, will my child walk? Ooh, that's a tough one. So here are some factors for good prognosis for emulation. We like to use the uh, Molnar and Bedell classifications. So with sitting, Molnar showed that if independent sitting occurs by age two, then there is a good prognosis for ambulation. And then when it comes to crawling, Bedell felt that the ability to crawl on your hands and knees by the age of one and a half to two and a half years old is a good prognostic sign. This is important because when you're doing review questions, they kind of refer to this, uh, these prognoses by the name. So it's good to know the classifications with who's talking about sitting and crawling. And then it's also important to review the types of gait abnormalities uh, for each type of CP because then you'll know what's actually causing their dysfunction with their um, ambulation. Good. Now, a factor for poor prognosis for ambulation is the persistence of three or more primitive reflexes at 18 to 24 months. Speaking of primitive reflexes, take the time to review them. There are plenty, however, I will only review a couple high-yield prim primitive reflexes here. One is the asymmetric tonic neck reflex. Stimulus is head turning to the side. The response is limb extension on the face, rotation side, and limb flexion on the opposite side. It's also known as the fencer position. The asymmetric tonic neck reflex is normally suppressed at six to seven months old. The other reflex is the palmar grasp. Stimulus is the touch or pressure on the palm or stretching of the finger flexors. The response is flexion of all the fingers or hand fisting position. The palmar grasp response is normally suppressed at five to six months old. So remember, a factor for poor prognosis for ambulation is persistence of three or more primitive reflexes at 18 to 24 months. Here are some notes on CP and aging. The most common complaint with CP as they age is neck pain. Scoliosis can occur with aging, especially in non-ambulatory cases. Most CP patients are capable of near-normal reproduction, as there is no co correlation between severity of disability and level of sexual activity. Finally, we will end with notes on entering the workforce. We have three groups, 
those able to work and attain competitive jobs, those limited to sheltered employment, and those who are unable to work or are unemployable. The competitive or able to work group, their IQ is greater than 80. Patient is able to ambulate, has normal hand use, or needs assistive device. Speech is normal or difficult to understand. The sheltered employment group, IQ is between 50 and 79. Like the previous group, patients are able to ambulate, have normal hand use, or need assistive device. Finally, the unemployable or unable to work group, IQ is below 50. Patients are non-ambulatory and non-oral. They also require assistance with hand use. So to end on a happy note, um, I just want to share that one of my pediatrics PUNR attendings uh, when I was a medical student actually had CP and he fit in the competitive or able to work group. He obviously he went to medical school and got into PUNR residency and was successful peds physiatrist. Um, but he had um, some difficulty using his left hand. Um, I think he had a hemiplegia spastic type and his speech was a little bit difficult to understand but he was able to have a normal job, very professional highly fun job. Just ending with that. And that concludes the PMNR Lady Docs review on pediatrics. Happy study. The reference for the board review on pediatrics is Cucurillo. PMNR Lady Docs makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast. While the information contained within the podcast is believed to be accurate at the time of reporting, no guarantee is given that the information provided in this podcast is correct, complete, and or up to date. The materials contained on this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute medical or other professional advice on any subject matter. All information, content, and material of this podcast is for informational purposes only and are not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider. If you're having a medical emergency, stop this podcast and call 911.